Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing today? We can do a little bit better than that. What's up, Christ Walk? That's what I'm talking about. Um, so, so excited to be here with you guys this morning. Just super um, expectant, just anticipating God to, to move and do something in our hearts um, today and just, uh, just really excited about the day. So if you've got your, uh, you got your Bible, you got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament this morning. In case you're unaware, the Bible's divided up into these two large portions of Scripture. You've got the Old Testament towards the front of the Bible and then the second big section of Scripture is the New Testament. Um, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those four books are good news is because they tell the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to be in the New Testament together today in the second book, the second gospel, the gospel of Mark um, chapter 11. And so you can go ahead and turn there, keep your finger there, and we'll, we'll land there in just a minute. Um, but we're in part three of a series uh, called Confessions of a Church Pastor, which is based on a passage that is found in Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And the Passion Translation reads this way. It says, since we first heard about you, We've kept you always in our prayers that you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives, making you reservoirs of every kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing that you do. And so, and what we're going to be talking about this morning is right here in verse 10, where Paul says, we pray that you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. And then verse 11 closes it out where Paul says, and we pray that you would be energized with all his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. It's been several months ago in my daily devotional reading that I read through this passage and it just jumped off the pages to me. And so I took this passage and I, I wrote it in the back of my journal and um, I began to pray the promises and the principles of this passage over my life and over the lives of those in my family. And here of recent, I've been praying these things over you as well, because just like Paul was believing these things for the Christians in Colossae, I too, my confession is that I'm believing these things for the people that call Christ Walk Church home. And I want us to see these principles and, um, and, and these possibilities, these promises realized in our lives as well. And two weeks ago in part one of this series, um, we talked about this idea of knowing God's will. And we discovered that, that God's will, simply put, is for us to be holy, 
And the reason that's so important is because holiness is the key that unlocks the door to God's presence. And anytime we find ourselves in God's presence, we also find ourselves right in the middle of his will. And then last week in part two of the series, we talked about what it means to walk in righteousness. And we learned that, that we are counted as righteous by our, our faith or by our belief, but that it's, it's our behavior that allows us to continue to walk in righteousness. And, and that God, he, he wants our hearts to be undivided, that we would be single-hearted in our pursuit of him. And so for the, for the few minutes that I have left this morning uh, for part three of this series, I want us to talk about this right here, that what we can do to become fruit-bearing branches, that we would work to bear fruit in our lives and some of the implications of what that might look like. So um, have, has anybody here ever been disappointed when something wasn't uh, something wasn't, uh, didn't, didn't happen as it was advertised, where, where something was, was different than maybe the way it was advertised. Anybody ever felt that way before? Anybody, anybody ever um, had an experience where, where what you expected isn't what you got? That you, you went into a situation or something with, with kind of these, these grandiose ideas and these great hopes only to be let down on the back end. Anybody, am I talking to anybody this morning? Yeah, that makes me kind of think of um, like food commercials. All right, you know, you see on TV like all of these, all of these, like these burgers or, um, you know, different, different offerings from these different restaurants. And, and um, you know, so there's, there's, a, there's the advertisements the promise versus the reality of, of what happens. And so right here, we have, uh, we have a Big Mac as advertised in the picture. And then right here to its right, we have the Big Mac in reality. And in case you can't read the fine print right there, it says rotated to most attractive angle. <laughs> All right, so like this was the best side of the burger. I don't even wanna know what is on the back side of that burger. I gotta be honest. And then right here, we, we got the crunchy taco from Taco Bell. Here's how it's advertised. Just to the right is the actual taco that you get, right? Here's the Burger King Whopper in all of its advertisement glory. And here it is in reality and actuality. And, and the fine print says, this one is rotated to most attractive angle. There is cheese on that, even though you can't see it. And then it says, it's slightly fluffed up for the picture. Like they actually made it look a little bit better to take that picture. And then we have the McDonald's Angus Deluxe Third Pounder. Here it is in the advertisement. There it is in all actuality. You know, maybe McDonald's and Taco Bell and Burger King isn't your thing. Maybe you've gone to Red Lobster in the middle of Lobster Fest. You're expecting to get a lobster tail about like this. And you get a lobster tail about like this. When things aren't as they are advertised, they can leave us feeling frustrated, aggravated. We feel misled. We feel cheated. And you know what? Sometimes I look in the mirror in the morning and I realize that I'm something different than what I've advertised. Can anybody identify? Yeah, 
How do you think God feels when we do the same thing, when, when we act the same way in our lives, when, when who I really am doesn't match up with who I claim to be or who I say that I'm, I'm trying to become? Sometimes when I take a look at the scope of my life, I realize that I am much less than what I often advertise to be. And I can't help but wonder what God thinks about that, what he feels about that, and, and, and what he wants me to do to make the necessary changes in that area or those areas of my life. Because as your pastor and, and as a husband and as a father and as just a believer in Jesus, as a Christ follower, I want to be what I advertise. I want to be sure that the inside of me matches up with the outside of me. I want to be sure that all of us collectively, that we, we are people of our word and that we are people of God's word and that we are who he is calling us to be. And even though we will never this side of heaven reach perfection, that every single day that there is breath in our lungs and that we live here on this earth, that, that we're striving to take one more step closer to becoming the fullness of who Christ is and who he has called us to become in and through him. And so that brings us to this passage in Mark in chapter 11, um, where Jesus is with his disciples and, and it's just a handful of verses. And, and um, um, I've, I've read through this a lot and it's actually, this is, uh, it's, it's also found in, in other places in the New Testament, in the Synoptic Gospels and in Matthew and Luke, there's a, there's a form of, of this story as well. Um, but in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12, it, it tells this story and it says, the next morning as they, this is Jesus and his disciples, the next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And, and in verse 12, it says that Jesus, he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. And verse 14 says, Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. And then we skip down to verse 20 of that chapter. And it says, The next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed has withered and died. Now, this, this passage reveals to us exactly how Jesus feels about the pretense of fruitfulness, about something being advertised as one way only to then realize that it's something quite different. Notice, he noticed the fig tree in full leaf a little way off, but upon closer examination, there were only leaves and there were no fruit. 
You know, the very first responsibility given to God's creation was for us to be fruitful and multiply. We go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, verse 28. It's what we were designed to do, who we were designed to be. The the very first directions that God gives us is to be fruitful and multiply. And there's a reason that God wants us to bear fruit. The reason is, is because fruit is for the seed. And so that means that where there is no fruit, there is no hope for a future. Okay? If fruit is for the seed, then that means that that where there's an absence of fruit, that then there's no hope for the future. There's nothing to perpetuate things beyond just that moment. And, and it's, it's in this particular passage that, that, that Jesus does something way different than he does in, in most any other area of scripture. It's, it's one of the only times, aside from the drowning of a herd of pigs, which was somewhat an indirect result of something that Jesus used his miraculous power for, that, that he cast out some demons and allowed them to go into a herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs ran off of a cliff and drowned that this is the only instance of Jesus using his miraculous power to bring about any kind of destruction of something in nature. And when, when, we, when we look at this in, in the context within what's going on here in the book of Mark and the other instances that, it is, um, that it's mentioned is, is that this is a precursor. It's leading up to the week of passion where Jesus is getting ready to go and he's going to die on the cross for the sin of all humanity. And, and the fig tree in this story represents the nation of Israel. There are several different times throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, where the the nation of Israel is linked to or represented by the symbol of a fig tree. And, And like the fig tree, the nation of Israel... In Jesus' time, in the time that we're reading here in Mark chapter 11, it was nothing but leaves. It had the appearance of being a nation that that lived for God and lived by godly standards, yet, yet it turned its back on God in the flesh and sent him to the cross to be crucified. And and there's some warnings that come along with this in some other parts of Scripture. There's there's warnings that we get about fruitlessness, that this passage gives us this idea or, or, or lets us in on this idea of how Jesus truly feels about fruitlessness when things are not the way that they are advertised. And so there's some, some different warnings throughout scripture. And the first one of those is Jesus warning to the church. And we go all the way to the end of scripture and we, we look at the church of uh, the letter to the church of Sardis in, in Revelation chapter three, verses one through three. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. It says, I know all the things you do and that, listen to this, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Verse two of that passage says, wake up strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. So go back to what you heard and believed at first and hold to it firmly. 
Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. And Jesus' warning to the church in Sardis is a warning for you and for me today. What he's saying is, is that, that there's a lot of you. There's a lot of you that are a part of the church. There are a lot of you that claim to be my followers. You have a reputation for being alive. You know how to put on your Sunday best and you know how to come in. You know how to carry your Bible under your arm. You know how to walk the walk and talk the talk and act the part. But in reality, you are Dead, And his message is, you need to repent. And repent means that, that we, we turn away from and we let go of one thing so that we can move in the direction and the pursuit of something else. Then there's Paul's warning to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and then 8 through 9, where... Paul says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing to be sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Verse 5 of that passage says this. It says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Paul's admonition to Timothy is stay away from people like that. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is, he's saying there's gonna be people out there. Timothy, he's, a, he's a, a young pastor of a church and he said, look out because in your church, there's gonna be people that will act religious. They'll act like they've got it all together and they'll come in all reverent and pious and everything like, like they're close to God, but, but they, are, they will reject the power that could make them godly. And he says, stay away, steer clear. Don't even come into contact with people like that because the day is coming when they are going to be exposed for who they truly are. And you need to distance yourself from those people. So we've got Jesus' warning to the church, we've got Paul's warning to Timothy, and then we have Jesus' warning to his disciples in a pretty well-known passage in John 15. Verses four through eight, where Jesus, he tells his disciples, and therefore us, you and I, those who have chosen to be his followers, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse five, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Here's the warning. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. 
But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my father. So based on this passage here and and the warning that Jesus is is sharing with his disciples and and ultimately with you and me today, this, this answers the question of what is it that Jesus wants from us? It was the very first thing that God wanted from us in the beginning, to to produce fruit, be fruitful and multiply. Jesus, the expectation for us is to be fruitful and to multiply. And he says right there to his disciples that if we aren't producing fruit, that we are useless. Because remember, where there's no fruit, there's no future. So we're useless. If we're not producing, we're just the consumer. We're just taking up space. It could be used for something better. Did you catch that word that Jesus repeated several times in that passage? It's it's right there. It's remain. The word remain. The the Greek word for remain is is literally meno, M-E-N-O, and it it literally means to remain or to abide, to dwell or to endure. And and when you dig into the definition of this word a little bit deeper, you realize that it has three, there's three kind of facets or three layers to this idea of remaining or abiding or or whatever. And it's, it's, it's three facets, and the three facets are in regard to our condition, in regard to our place, and in regard to our time. And, and so when we look at that in, in, terms, of, in terms of planting and sowing and, and harvesting and producing and reaping and all of those things, what, what it's actually saying, what Jesus is saying in that passage where he says, remain in me so that I may remain in you, what he's talking about is in regard to condition, he's talking about the seeds that we plant. In regard to our place, he's talking about the soil that we plant in. And then in regard to our time, he's talking about the season of planting. And if you're taking notes, and and hopefully you are, you you might want to write this down. Maybe you put it in your phone or whatever. Kind of the big idea that that I want to get at here today is is, is something like really, really simple. And, And it's this right here. It's that fruitfulness requires faithfulness. That's ultimately what Jesus is saying here to to us today. And the word that I believe that he's communicating to us is is that fruitfulness requires faithfulness. If we're going to be people who bear fruit, then we've got to be people who are first faithful in that effort. And we've got to be faithful in those three areas, in the seed, in the soil, and in the season. We've got to be faithful in the seed, in the soil, and in the season. So the first area of faithfulness, our seed, this this asks the question, what are you planting? What are you planting? Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8 says this. Paul writes it. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. 
Ultimately, what Paul is saying is that apple trees don't grow from orange seeds, right? Whatever we plant, that determines what we grow. And so there's a principle here, and the principle is this. If, if you don't like the fruit that you're producing, plant something different. Like, it's really not that hard, like, when we, when we stop and think about it. Like, if we don't like the things that we're producing, start planting different seeds. Like, if you don't like the grades that you're getting in school, I don't know, start doing your homework. <laughs> or, like, study. Like, try to, like, shake things up. Get in a study group. Ask your teacher for extra credit. Don't just put the blame off, well, I'm having, I I got a bad grade in that class. The teacher just doesn't like me. They're out to get me. No. If you'll just do what's expected, you'll get the result that you are after. In our finances, man, my finances are all messed up. Have you tried living on a budget? Have you tried returning the tithe to God so that you'll be out from under the curse and that he can bless you? Yeah, I said that. Have you tried those things? Because I guarantee if you did, if you lived on budget and you spent less than you made and you returned the tithe to God, I guarantee you that you'd be blessed. If you don't like what you're getting, start planning something different on our jobs. Man, I'm in a dead end job. I just can't seem to get this. I can't. I get turned down for the promotions. Have you taken some initiative at work? Like, have you have you tried to go over and above and and do a little bit more, do a little bit extra without being asked, so that you can get noticed, so that somebody can see? Oh, there's value there in that person. Here's what I know: If you'll constantly try to work your way out of a job, you'll always have one. You've been that kind of person? Do you, have, you, have you looked inside and maybe changed your attitude instead of coming in all like, you come in with a smile on your face and you're there a few minutes early, you're willing to stay a few minutes late, you're willing to work hard and get the job done and do it to the best of your ability with excellence? Have you, have you showed honor to your boss? Instead of standing at the water cooler talking about how terrible they are, have you, have you built them up and, and lifted them up to your other employees? Maybe that would help in our marriage. Are we speaking life to our spouse instead of passing blame on them? When's the last time you went on a date for crying out loud? Are you helping with the household chores? Are you involved? Are you engaged? Are you like trying to make it work? Are you just putting it off on the other person? Well, my marriage would be better if my spouse was better and different. No, your marriage would be better if you were better and different. Because that would kickstart something for your spouse. You be the change that you want to see. Your relationship with your kids. When's the last time you sat down and looked them in the eye and said, I'm proud of you and I love you? When's the last time you, you, you took them out for ice cream just because? Or whatever their thing is, just because. When's the last time that you sat down around the table and had a family dinner and you put your, your cell phones and your electronics away and you had this thing called a conversation? If we want something different, 
We need to plant different seeds because the only person that can be blamed for what's being harvested is the farmer because he's the one that put the seed in the ground in the first place. So if you don't like what's being produced, you need to look at the mirror and you need to be upset with yourself because you are the one that planted it. Someone said one time that many Christians spend six days a week sowing their wild oats and they show up to church on Sunday praying for crop failure. If we would start planting different seeds, we would start producing different fruit. In order to produce the right crops, we gotta be sure that we're first planting the right seed. So we gotta be faithful in the area of our seed. Second area of faithfulness is in our soil. Not just what are we planting, but where are we planting it? Psalm chapter one, verses one through three says this. It was a little Vanna White moment right there. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. See, the soil that we plant in, the soil is what gives the seed the nutrients that it's going to need, and, and the makeup of the soil has a direct effect on the outcome of the plant. The soil is where, where the roots are, and the root has a direct impact on the fruit because whatever is being consumed by the root is what is going to be displayed in the fruit. This is talking about our environment. And we've talked about this before, that, that we become like the, the people that we spend the most time with, or, or that, that we become like the, the places that we spend the most time. And we'll, we will leach out of those things. We will leach out of those people. We will rub off on each other, and we will, we will start to resemble the people and the places that we spend the most time time in. And so this is the, the psalmist warning here. He's, he warns us against, against the, uh, being around people who are wicked or, or those that are sinners or those that are mockers. And so what he's talking about here is, is, is word, thought, and deed, right? He's talking about like the things that we think about. He's saying, he's saying, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, those whose minds are depraved, those whose minds are fixed on things that are not of God. He talks about, he talks about sinners. Um, um, uh, we don't stand around with sinners. Sinners are those that, that they, they engage in sinful behavior. They engage in, they take action upon things that, that separate us from God. And then mockers, um, the joys of those who do not follow or join in with mockers. Mocking is, is the language. Those who, who say things that go against God, who use foul and perverse language that, that if we immerse ourselves in an environment with people who are thinking wicked thoughts and they're engaging in sinful behavior and, and, and mocking and scorn the, it, toward, toward God and, and the things of God and his word are coming out of their mouths, that eventually that is going to spill over into our lives and, and we are going to start to resemble and display that kind of stuff as well. So he says, 
Delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. That's how we, that's how we remedy that situation. And instead of being around the wicked and the sinners and the mockers, in order to get our head right, in order to get our heart right, our hands right, our, our words right, that what we've got to do is we've got to delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on it day and night. It's this right here. Yours may look different. That's okay. But it's God's word. It's the Bible. So let me ask you some questions. You don't have to answer these out loud. Just introspectively. Maybe, maybe um, if, if you're taking notes, maybe like you, you want to put a scale like 1 to 10. Maybe jot down like the, the number that you would be at in your life right now in these questions. How's your devotional life? Are you spending time reading, studying, thinking about, literally meditating on God's word? What about small group? Who are you in a small group with? Are you in a small group? Are you actively spending time with people, other people who are actively pursuing after Jesus? How's your serving? Are you on a team here at the church or in some organization in the community where you're purposefully using your gifts to honor God and to help fulfill the mission and the vision of his house? How's your church attendance? How's your church attendance? I realize I'm preaching to the choir this morning right now. You're like, I'm here. (laughs) Check that box off. Are you looking for more ways to go to church and to get to church? Are you looking for ways to get out of going? And Well, I'll go to church if there's nothing else better to do. How's your church attendance? How's your worship? How's your worship? Uh, When you you come into the house of the Lord, when we gather together for worship service, are you singing the songs? Do you raise your hands? Do you clap? Are you engaging with God's presence? When the pastor makes a really good point in his message, do you like agree with him and maybe like give an audible like amen or that's right pastor or whatever and a lot of you are like, well, if you'd start saying good stuff, we'd start agreeing with it. (laughs) I know I gotta play my part too. But truth be told, the more, the more you talk back, the better I preach. Do you agree with the word of the Lord that's going forth? Are you taking notes? It's important to take notes. We're, we're building in the things that we're learning so we can go back and we can, we can look at it in your phone or in a journal or... Are you responding to the proclamation of God's word that that when you hear the word of the Lord go forth in a a worship setting or you're listening to a podcast or whatever it may be, are are you responding? Are you coming forward for prayer? Are you engaging? Are you you taking action on, on what you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and what he's calling you to do? Are you applying the principles of God's word to your life and, and putting them into practice? That it's not just head knowledge, but that it gets planted into our heart and then eventually spills out into our hands and our feet so that we're actually living out the things that we are learning from the scriptures. How's our worship? How's your prayer life? Are you spending time in communication with the Father, both talking and listening? And when you do, is it just about you and your needs? Or is it also about what he wants to say and what he's trying to do? 
Is it always rushed, always in a hurry? Or are you taking the time and say, God, I don't have anywhere else to be. It's just me and you. And I'm going to stay here. I'm going to remain until you move, until you speak, until you have your way. Is it a daily thing? Or does prayer only cross your mind whenever tragedy strikes? Whenever things are chaotic and you find yourself in the midst of some turmoil? How's your prayer life? See, here's the deal. We can plant all the seeds that we want. But if we aren't planting them in the right soil, if they aren't being placed in the right environment, they're never going to grow into what we want them to become. If you don't have the right kind of soil, you'll never bring about the right kind of fruit. So if you're not getting the kind of fruit you desire in your life, if, if those things aren't being produced, then take a look at the seed and you say, well, the, the, the seed's right. I'm doing the right things. I'm planting the right stuff. Maybe you're planting it in the wrong place. So if you don't need to change the seed, maybe you need to change the soil. So we gotta be faithful in our seed. We gotta be faithful in our soil. The third area of faithfulness is in the season. In the season, the question here is, will you stay the course? Will you stay the course? Jeremiah 17, verses seven through eight says this, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank. There it is again with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are, listen to this, not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. You know what? A lot of the time I hear people say things like this. Well, I used to go to church once upon a time, but then I had a really bad experience at one. Or I, I tried reading the Bible for a little bit, but I just don't understand it. I just don't have enough money to tithe. I don't make enough to be a person of generosity. I hear people say things like, somewhere along the way, my spouse and I, we just grew apart. That doesn't even make sense. Grew apart? It's an oxymoron. I've been with parents have said things like, I just don't know what to do with my kids anymore. I've sat with people who've just said, Pastor Blake, I just feel like God is so far away. Stuff like that. Just Maybe you've thought stuff like that. Maybe you've felt stuff like that. Maybe you have said stuff like that yourself. You know what? All of those, those are throw in the towel statements. Those are the things we say right before we quit. And I can't help but wonder, in my own life and in the lives of those around me, how many of us have stopped trying a day before or an hour before or a minute before our breakthrough took place? It was right there. We just said, I just can't anymore. 
We're planting the seeds. It's in the right soil. But God, you haven't shown up. When are you going to move? When are you going to make a difference? See, according to Jeremiah, he says it right there, the, the heat is going to come. There's going to be seasons of drought where, where there's no rain to be found. And, and all we're, we're, like, we're just continuing to do the same old thing that we did before. And we're not going to see anything coming up from the ground as a result. We're not going to see any fruit. We're not going to see any produce. And God's saying, will you continue to trust in me? Because blessed are those who trust in the Lord. That God, I know what you've told me to do and I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to be, I'm gonna keep being faithful in the seed. I'm gonna keep being faithful in the soil. I'm gonna keep being faithful in the midst of this season, even when I'm not getting what I believe I should be getting because I'm trusting in you. He says, those that trust in the Lord will never stop producing fruit. No matter how hot it gets, no matter how dry it gets, those that are faithful, they will see it come to fruition. Craig Rochelle says this, pastor of Life Church. He says, successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. That's the secret. That's the key right there. God, I know what you've called me to. And today I'm gonna do that. And tomorrow I'm gonna do that. And the next day I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna keep on and keep on. And whatever comes, whatever happens, I'm just gonna keep my head down and I'm gonna keep moving forward because successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. I'm gonna be a person of faithfulness and consistency and intentionality even when it's hard, even when it becomes mundane, even when I can't see the results, even when it seems like nothing is happening behind the scenes, I'm just gonna keep on doing right what God has called me to do. Because Galatians 6, chapter, nine, or, uh, chapter six verse nine says this. It says, let's not get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. It's God's timing. It's not ours. Our responsibility is to plant the seed and get it into healthy soil and to, to tend it and take care of it and everything. His responsibility is to bring the produce. It's not us. It's him. And here's how I know that this is true. Because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. That's how I know. That's how I know. Because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. And at just the right time, I don't know when the right time is. That's not my call to make. My call is to be ready when the right time comes about. And that if I'll just choose to just be a person of faithfulness, I'm just going to abide. I'm just going to remain. I'm just going to endure. I'm just going to keep on doing what I know to keep on doing. And I'm going to leave the rest in God's hands at the right time. He will bring forth the fruit. Because fruitfulness requires faithfulness. There's no other way around it. There's no, there's no shortcut. There is no quick fix, get rich quick scheme. Fruitfulness requires faithfulness. Today, the communion table has been set. 
the elements of his body that was broken, battered and bruised so that, that we could be healed and made whole. His, his blood that was poured out, the cross of Calvary so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And today I, I'm believing that as we come to this table and as we partake of these elements together that that's going to bring us in alignment with what the Father wants to produce in our lives. And as we respond to the word of the Lord this morning, maybe we need to do so with an attitude of forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for planting the wrong kinds of seeds and expecting different results. Maybe we need to do so with an attitude of help. Lord, I need your help to cultivate a more positive, God-honoring environment in my life so that I can produce the right kind of fruit. Maybe you need to believe on God for an extra measure of his strength, that he would strengthen you to continue in the face of struggle and adversity, to stay the course and to not give up. This wasn't in my notes, but I read it this morning in my devotional reading, spending some time in my office praying. Psalm 113 says, praise the Lord. Yes, give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. Everywhere from east to west, praise the name of the Lord. For the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. Who can be compared with the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? He stoops to look down on heaven and on earth. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, even the princes of his own people. And here's the last verse, verse nine. It says, he gives the childless woman a family, making her a happy mother. Praise the Lord. And I read that verse this morning, read that chapter this morning, and I got to verse nine. And I felt the Holy Spirit just speaking to my heart. Today, I'm gonna bring forth some new fruit in someone's life. I'm gonna bring forth some, some new life into someone's situation in, in an area that had been previously barren. It had been previously unfruitful. There had been no sign. There had been no evidence. Today is the day for somebody and I'm gonna birth something new in them. For some people here in this room, maybe that's an actual baby. I'm believing that for you today. Now, it's gonna take us nine, 10 plus months to get there. We're not gonna see the immediate result today, but I'm believing that God's gonna start something in you. Maybe it's a, another situation. Maybe it's in a situation with your marriage, your kids, your finances, your health, whatever. I'm believing that God is going to be true to his word today and that new fruit is going to be born. New life is going to be created into someone's situation. And the only way that happens is through these elements. This is our seed. This is our soil. This is our season. It is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if this is what we will invest in, in every area of our life, we'll never go wrong in the fruit that we're able to produce. So in just a minute, the band's gonna lead us into worship. We're gonna come to these tables. We're gonna partake of these elements together. But if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can come to this table all you want to, but at the end of the day, it's just a little wafer and a little cup of juice. But for those of us who have accepted him as a Lord and Savior, the elements on this table are everything. 
for us. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, you need to know that today, if you're here, you're welcome at this table. There's room for you at the table of the Lord. But if you haven't put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, coming to this table will just be another religious exercise. And so today, if you say, Pastor Blake, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I wanna produce the kind of fruit that he's calling me to produce. I wanna make him my foundation. I wanna sow, sow seeds into the soil of his body and his blood. Today, I'm ready to accept him as Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, you just make that known by just sticking your hand up. Just all over this house. You can just put it up and put it right back down. Stick it up and right back down. You're just acknowledging that to God, letting him know your intentions. If that's you here today, would you pray this prayer along with me? Whether you raise your hand or not, if you're ready to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ today, to be forgiven of your sins, to secure your eternity in heaven forever and ever and ever. If that's you, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer. It's on the screen right here if you need it. Just pray along with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. All over this house, I wanna invite you to stand. We've got three stations for communion. If you would, use the aisle to your left to exit your row, and then the aisle to your right to return to your row, and that'll keep traffic flowing so everybody on this side, you'll exit this way and come and get your elements, head back to your seat. Everybody in the middle, you'll exit this way. Come and get your elements. Head back to your seat. Same thing on this side. Just come to the station that's right there in front of you. You're invited to the table. His body was bruised and battered and broken so that you could be healed and made whole. His blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Come and take, eat and drink. And let's worship the Lord together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.